You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. All right, well, I lived in Dallas for 11 years, and let me just tell you all this. There's no place greater than Dallas, Texas, all right? And, and uh, man, we miss it, uh, but I'm glad, glad, glad to be back uh, in Dallas tonight. If y'all don't know who I am, my name's Chris Lovell. Uh, while I was here in Dallas, I was the youth pastor at Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas for a while. And then after that, God told me to quit my job and to become a basketball coach. And uh, so I quit my job. And uh, that was scary, by the way. And uh, became a basketball coach, started coaching high school basketball. I was the coach at Prestonwood Christian for a long time. Uh, some of y'all know Julius Randle. He's playing tonight on TV for the Los Angeles Lakers, was one of my players, and so forth. So I got to do all that, and it was fun. And then about a year ago, um, a college approached me and asked me to come be their coach. So I'm a Division One junior college basketball coach in Shreveport, Bossier City, Louisiana. So I was on the court four hours ago, walked out of the gym in my hooping clothes, got in the car, drove three and a half hours, and I changed in a bathroom, and I'm here with you tonight, all right? So we're going to have fun, all right? So it's going to be good. I have a family. Uh, my wife's name's Amanda. I got three kids. Paxton's 14. Bowman is 11. And Carrington, the princess of the house, who I call KP, is 8. And we have a dog, a dog named Espen, ESPN, the greatest name ever for a dog. My wife uh, named her. No, you can't have her. Okay, good. But the dog died, so we're looking for a replacement. So... I'm all for goldfish because when they die, there's no drama. You just flush it. All right, so enough of that. Tonight, we're going to have some fun. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard me speak before? Anybody? I walked in with a young lady. I got out of the car. There she is. She's like, hey, I know you. And I'm thinking, okay. And uh, she had heard me speak at a camp. And so it was cool to walk in with her and catch up with her. And so, man, just glad to be in Dallas. So let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this. And we're going to have some fun. God, thank you for being so incredibly gracious to every single one of us. Dear Lord, we were able to wake up this morning. We've been able to breathe today. We've been able to live life, whether it's good or bad, it's life. And dear Lord, I pray right now as we come into this place, we open up your word, dear God. I pray that you would speak to my heart, that you would speak to these students' hearts. And dear Lord, that you would do something amazing in us. May we walk out of this room. And never be the same, not because of anything I have to say, but because of what your word has to say to our lives. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's do this. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at three verses of scripture tonight. Verses 15 through 17. And basically what I want to do, if you're note takers while you're turning your Bibles, I'll give you some notes as we go. But what I want to do tonight is talk to you about one word. Now, I'm a very simple person. I'm a basketball coach. I have to be. All right? College athletes are a lot like high school athletes, okay? You got to be very simple. And so I'm a very simple guy. But tonight I'm going to talk to you about one word. And the word is this. The word is commitment. 
Now, all of us have some kind of idea of what this word means. What does it mean to be committed to something or committed to someone? All of you have an idea of what commitment looks like. But really, before we can even discuss what commitment is, we have to have a definition to get us all on the same page. So here's its starting definition for us tonight. Commitment, listen to this, really has nothing to do with your feelings or your emotions. All right, let me say that again because it's very important that we understand what it's not. Commitment really doesn't have anything to do with how we feel, what we're going through, what our circumstances are. It has nothing to do with our feelings and our emotions, but commitment has everything to do with you and I doing what we said we were going to do to the person or the thing that we said it to. Does that make sense? So it really doesn't matter when it comes to commitment about how we feel or our emotions, but it has everything to do with us being true to our word, seeing it through to the end. Now, let's be honest. Our world has killed the meaning of this word. Our culture has degraded the value and the meaning of the word commitment. I'll give you an example. I was a high school basketball coach for a real long time before I became a college coach. And every fall, and we'll just use it when I was at Prestonwood Christian, for example. Every fall, they would come out. We were a nationally ranked high school basketball program. And I had my last year there, I would have 69 hopefuls come out to try out for a week to make the 12 spots on my varsity roster. So there were going to be a lot of people disappointed. And I hated that part of being a high school coach because I hate cutting kids. Nothing in me enjoyed that at all. But they would come out, listen, and these 69 dudes would compete for an entire week. And then on the last day of the trial, y'all have all been through a trial of some kind, I'm sure, in your life. We post a list. And if your name was of the 12 guys, you were what? On the team. If your name wasn't on there, you weren't on the team. And it's harsh. And it's awful, and I hated it. I hated it every year. And so what would happen is those 12 guys would make the team. And I would bring those 12 guys into my office. Now watch. They would come into my office, and I would slide across my desk to them a commitment contract. And this commitment contract stated this. No matter how much playing time I get, no matter if I'm the best player or the worst player, no matter if my parents like the coach or not, go ahead and make it all up, whatever. I am going to stay committed to this team and find a role on this team to help this team be the best it can be until the season is over. And all 12 of those guys, guess what? Do you think they asked me questions on that day where they had just made the team? Hey, coach, um, if I sign this, does it mean like maybe like... I could quit halfway through. Hey, coach, do you think any of them had any questions of me on that day? No. They were so excited to be on the team. You know what every single one of them did? Oh, yeah, I got this, coach. Pushed it back to me. Guess what happened? We start practicing. We get a month and a half into practice. Season's getting ready to start. And guess what happens? They start figuring out who's going to play and who isn't. I don't know how students figure that out. But they figure it out. And then all of a sudden, it never fails. Every year comes a knock on my door. Coach Lovell, can we see you real quick? Yeah, man, come in. 
And they sit on the other side of the desk where they sign that commitment contract. They go, well, coach, you know, I don't think you'll like me. <laughs> okay. Coach, I don't think I'm going to get much playing time. Coach, I think y'all can win without me. Or coach, this is taking up too much time and I need to focus on my academics. Or coach, my dog told me last night. <laughs> Name it. And they come up with some kind of excuse to quit. And you know what I do? I reach into that folder where they sign that commitment contract. And I slide it back over the desk the second time. And I go, hey, bro. You signed and you said regardless of your feelings and your emotions. Regardless of whether or not the coach likes you or not. Regardless of whether it's going your way or not, and you're getting the most playing time or the least playing time or whatever it is that you are going to be committed to this team. And I still have kids try to quit. You want to know why? Because our culture told us that it's not going your way. Maybe you wake up one morning and you don't like it anymore. Walk away. Flee it. And so we have been raised in a culture now that does not understand what the true word and meaning of commitment is. You know what's funny? The Bible talks about this. I mean, it's crazy, but the Bible actually talks about this. And here in Ephesians chapter 5, let me give you a little context of this passage tonight. Paul is writing to a bunch of believers these are people who believe in Jesus. Are you with me? And they, listen, they have forgotten. Maybe they've gotten busy. I don't know that never happens to y'all. Maybe they've gotten distracted. I know that never happens. But what has happened is these people that he's writing to, they had forgotten what their commitment level to Jesus should look like. And so Paul's writing to the church in the book of Ephesians, and he's reminding the church of what they should be about. Now, how many of y'all, y'all are in college, how many of y'all are bold print studiers? Come on, let it out. Anybody? I got a master's degree being a bold print studier, okay? So, but if you look at your Bible, I'm not real smart, but I'm smart enough, okay? But if you look at your Bible and just look at the bold print in the book of Ephesians, Paul is reminding them of all kinds of things. So look here, Ephesians right here in, in chapter 2, the, the bold print says that, that he was reminding them of what it meant to be made alive in Christ. That's what it says. If you look on in the bold print in chapter 2, it talks about what it means to be one in Christ. If you look at chapter 3, it talks about how he's the preacher to the people and how he prays for the church. Chapter 4, he talks about the importance of them being unified in the body of Christ living as children of light is the other bold print statement and here at the beginning of chapter 5 as he begins to kind of wrap up this letter to the church the first statement out of his mouth is we should be imitators of God and so right here he is reminding them to be unified to be one to be praying for each other to be about each other that we should be imitating God that we should be living as children of light and where we pick it up here in verse 15 he gives remarkable remarkable encouragement to us to remind us of what our commitment level to Jesus should be look at what he says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 he says be very careful then how you live. He goes, not as unwise people, but rather live as 
wise people. Verse 10, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. Here tonight, students, what I want to do is I want to remind us of what our commitment to Jesus should look like because I guarantee you, some of you walked in here tonight and you're distracted. I guarantee you, some of you walked in here tonight and you have been so busy, it's been a month and a half since you picked up your Bible. Some of you walked in here tonight and you're just hoping that if the world were to end today, that God would just take you by chance. And they would allow you to be in heaven with you, with him. All of you walk in here with different stuff going on that has to deal with your emotions, that has to do with your feelings, that has to do with your circumstances. And Paul says, push all of that to the side for just 20 minutes. And focus on our model of what true commitment is, which is Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That's it. And tonight, I want to remind you of that. So if you're taking notes, three things to keep your commitment level where it needs to be. The first thing, ready? Write this down. The first thing, the very important thing, number one, is that every single one of you in this room, including me, and everyone within the sound of my voice, here's point number one. Your life matters. Write it down. Your life matters. You say, Chris, did you make that up? No, I did not. Look at verse 15. Paul says, be very careful then. What? How you live. See, how you live will speak volumes to the world about who God is in your life or who God is not in your life. And the Bible says it clearly. Paul says to them, you guys got to be careful how you live. And he goes on and he breaks it down for them and he tries to help them understand this, students, and look at me, that you get one shot at this life. You get one shot to live the life that you're living right now. You're not coming back as a beetle or a, or a car or something dumb. You get one shot to live this life. And bottom line, he's looking at us and he's saying, what are you doing with your life? You've got one shot at this. What are you doing? And he he says this in verse 15. You've got to be very careful then how you live. But he goes on and he tells us how we shouldn't live and how we should live. That's why I love the Bible. The Bible never leaves us hanging. The people that says the Bible doesn't answer that question, they don't read their Bible. But right here he says we've got to be very careful how we live. And then he tells us what not to do and what to do. Now watch this. Look at what the Bible says in verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live. He says, don't live unwisely. Do you all know what it meant to live unwisely in the context of when the Bible was written? I'm going to give it to you tonight. If you go and read commentaries on this passage, you'll see the same theme all the way through. To live unwisely meant this, that you would live your whole life neglecting the worth of your soul to God. To live unwisely meant that you would live your whole life not understanding that your life mattered to God, that you would not understand how valuable you are to God. And he says, don't live unwisely, but look at what else he says. You should live wisely, understanding that you matter to him, understanding that your soul is worth everything to him. And the bottom line, look at me, students. Some of you walked in here tonight, and the number one thing you needed to hear from me or from the Lord is this is that your life matters to God. And it does. 
Now, I don't know how to explain this to you. I'm an illustration guy. But I got three kids, and they're crazy, all right? I mean, we got, my wife talked me into three. I don't know, men, don't do that. All right, so anyway. But I got three kids, and every night that I'm home, when I'm not out on the road preaching or I'm not on the bus somewhere with the team, I put my kids to sleep. It's just what I do. It's, and I care about my kids a lot, and so they'll go to sleep way before me. I'm a night owl. I like to stay up late at night. And so I'll go into Paxton's room. He's my 14-year-old. He's six foot tall. And he's got long legs and long arms. He's all out in his bed like this. And I just walk in there when he's sleeping. And I'm not like creeper dad or anything. I just love my kids, all right? But I go in there, and I just take my hand, and I put it on Paxton's chest. You want to know why? I just want to feel him breathe. Why? Because he matters to me. And then I go into Bowman's room. (laughs) Bowman's my 11-year-old. He's an ugly sleeper. I don't know if any of y'all are ugly sleepers. But you can count on this when you walk in Bowman's room late at night. That's it. That's all he's got. Drool, mouth wide open. He's just an ugly sleeper. And so I go into Bowman's room. And I take my ear and I put it right down to his mouth. Just so I can hear him suck the air. Why do I do that? Because he matters to me. And then I go into my princess's room. KP. And I like to have a little fun with her. I pull the covers back from her foot. I just take my finger and I rub it down the bottom of her foot. She jerks it back. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> Promise. I do it like five times. Well, maybe ten. All right, and so. But why do I do that? Because she matters to me. Here's the bottom line. Look at me, students. Here's the truth. I can't even go to bed at night without making sure my kids are okay. And if anything were wrong with my kids, don't you know that I would do everything in my power to make sure they were okay? Hey, look at me. God looks at your life and he says, you matter more to me than a dad can love his own kids. That's how much you matter to him. Let me put it in scripture format for you. John 3, 16. For God so loved you, the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him doesn't have to perish, but they can have everlasting life in heaven with him. Your life matters. Second thing, write it down. Not only does your life matter, but your time is short. Oh, here it comes. Here's that boogeyman preacher up there. Here it comes. Your time is short. You say, Chris, where do you get that from? Look at the Bible, verse 16. He says, not only does our life matter, but our time is short. He says that we should make the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, we don't need to bring a genius in here. To come in and testify according and in front of you guys that the days you're living in are evil. We live in one of the most perverse, one of the most corrupt cultures that's ever existed. And by the way, it's only getting worse. And I believe it will continue to get worse. But the days were evil back in this day. 
And, he, and Paul was calling them. He says, hey, your time is short. And, and because of that, the days are evil. We're not guaranteed another day, another second, another hour, another month. We're not guaranteed anything. And he says, for that reason, because the days are so evil and the wars are going on and all this, God could come back at any time. And the bottom line is, are we ready for that? And he says, the days are evil. He said, you should be prepared. Therefore, he says, we should be making the most of every opportunity we have. Every opportunity we have. Not when we feel like it. Not when the mission trip comes available. Not when it's perfect and the timing's just right. We should make the most of every opportunity we have. Now, I'll never forget when I became a Christian. I was 14. I grew up in not a Christian home. Not one at all. But when I gave my life to Jesus, it was radical. And God just got a hold of me. And I ain't never gotten over it, y'all. And I'll never forget my youth pastor. He's a big chubby guy. He came up to me one day like. (laughs) And I swore I wouldn't be that guy, right? And he goes, hey, man, let's go to a conference together. Christian conference. I went, okay. Is there going to be food? Girls? He's like, yes, I'm in. So we come to Dallas. I lived in Shreveport. Growing up, we come to Dallas. We sat at Reunion Arena. This dates me, right? That place is gone. And I sat in Reunion Arena. Listen, and some guy walked out on the platform. He had a giant notebook that he gave everybody in the audience. It was this thick. I hated school. He goes, we're going to fill out every blank in the notebook. I'm thinking, I ain't filling out no blank, dude. Who are you? I just become a Christian. I ain't care nothing about that. But the coolest thing happened. How many of y'all love music? Anybody like music in here? You know why everybody likes music? I'm going to tell y'all why. Ready? It's not because the guys in the band are whatever. Okay? Wear way too tight of jeans or whatever that is. I, I don't get it. Vest. I don't get it. All right. But anyway, I saw my first Christian band. And I can't tell you one thing that the dude with the notebook said. By the way, he had a perm. If you don't know what that is, Google it. But here's the thing. Listen, I don't remember one thing that dude said, but listen to this. I remember every word of the first Christian song I ever heard. And I'm going to say it for you tonight. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to spare you. I'm going to say it to you tonight. Here's what it said. It said, you can act phony, fooling all your friends, but you can't hide anything from him. He knows your heart. And what's there within, no, you can't, no, you can't fool God. Here's the course. You can't fool God, you try and you fail. You can't fool God, he knows you too well. Listen to this. He knows everything about you to the last detail. No, you can't, no, you can't fool God. You know what that song did to me that day when I was sitting in that arena? I just, I just went, oh, crud. He knows. And I had this realization. He knows all my thoughts. He knows if I'm really committed to him or not. He knows if I really know him as Lord and Savior or not. He knows when I'm out on the weekends, if I'm glorifying him or not. He knows when I'm with my girlfriend. Do I need to keep going? He knows. And students, because he knows, we should make the most of 
every opportunity to live in response to the true commitment that he provided to us through his one and only son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins when nobody else would. So that we could have forgiveness, move into a relationship with him that ends in a place called heaven one day. You know, being athletic won't get you into heaven. I've had that talk with Julius Randle. He's a millionaire. Being tall won't get you into heaven. I had that talk with my 611 center other night. The only thing that gets you into heaven is a personal relationship with Jesus. And by the way, look at He knows. And so see, not only does your life matter, but your time is short. So it brings me back to the same question. You get one shot at this life. What are you doing with it? Last point and I'm done. Last point. Look at what verse 17 says in the word of God. He wraps all of this up and he says, therefore, do not be foolish. I love that. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is for your life. This is coach talk. This is Paul getting out the whistle and getting on someone in the huddle, correcting them. He looks at these people who have forgotten their way, who have gotten busy, who have gotten distracted from what their commitment should be like to Jesus. And he looks at them and he goes, hey, don't be dumb. Don't be foolish. Don't neglect your duty. This is what he's saying. He, he says, don't be foolish. He calls their attention to the task at hand. And he says, don't be foolish. But look at what else he says. We must understand what the Lord's will is for our life. That we've made the Lord's will the spooky, mysterious thing. When we've got to go wrap our head in a turban and pray for 900 days to know whether or not to eat McDonald's or Burger King. Don't work like that. God's will is so simple and simplistic. Are there things we need to fast and pray over? Absolutely. But in God's will is simple and simplistic for every person according to the word of God. That we would be in relationship with him. That it would be a growing relationship with him. And that we would be living for him. Making him famous with our lives. Period. That is God's will for our life. And so the third point here, not only does your life matter, not only is your time short, but you should be seeking God with all that you are. We should be seeking God with the evermost part of our being, understanding what he's done for us, understanding why he came and why he provided Jesus as the sacrifice for all those who would dare to believe in him and call upon him for salvation and restoration and eternity. That's what God's will is. And tonight, I just want to ask you, what's your commitment level look like? I was preaching at a camp uh, several summers ago. Preached this message. And I was on point number two, so that was like a point ago. And that night, before everybody got in the room, I kind of like to get there early and pray over the room. And tonight I didn't have that chance. But I was sitting on the front row praying over the room. And there in the back right corner, right over this way, the door swung open. It was a high school camp. It was probably about 1,000, 1,500 kids there. And 60 
one football players walked in the room. And I sat there and I watched them. They had muscles in their ears. <laughs> I was trying to figure that one out. I ain't got muscles anywhere. And they were big and they were swole. You know, they had that high school thing. They had that high school thing going on, you know, the I ate someone before I came in here, you know. And they all just kind of filtered in. They kind of had a stench to them. And so, and I'm sitting on the front row, and because I work with athletes, I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm going to pray for them. I don't know what's going on in their lives. I don't know what's going on, circumstances, home lives. I don't know any of that, just like you guys. And here was my prayer that night before we started. I said, God, could you save that football team? God, could you call those football players to be as committed to you as they are to playing football? We got into the service, and I was on point number two, one point ago. And the biggest guy on the football team stood up in the middle of my talk. He had dreadlocks. He was swole. And he walked out into that aisle and started walking toward me like this. And I just said a quick prayer while I was preaching. I said, God, if he's going to kill me, make it quick. Homeboy came all the way down the aisle. He came and he stood right there. I'm on the stage. He stood right there, folded his arms, did this, pecs moving, all that junk. I'm trying. Y'all can't see it, can you? <laughs> and he stood right there. And I just looked up at God and I said, thank you for the bodyguard. And I kept preaching. Got to the end of the night. This is where, about where we are right now. It was getting time and I was going to allow people to commit their lives to Jesus if that's what they wanted to do. And so we prayed for that, and God was good to us that night. A lot of people committed their hearts to Jesus, but I was still just mesmerized by this guy. Now, I wasn't going to ask him to leave. Well, he didn't need to go there. But at the end of it, I was about to send him out to talk to someone about the decision they made. And something prompted me. You know these little microphone things? Can you all see this, by the way? They, they make them a different color these days. I don't know. And I was standing there, and I got down on the floor right next to this guy. And he's about two inches taller than me. I'm 6'4". And I said, hey, bro. I said, uh, what's your name? And I took my little microphone and I pulled it out. He said, just like this, my name's Steve Wilson. <laughs> I looked at him. I said, yes, you are. <laughs> I said, Steve, can you tell me why you came down? Because I didn't know why he came down. He came down here in the middle of my talk. I said, can you tell me why you came down here tonight? Took my microphone, put it up there. Here's what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, tonight I realized that what I've committed my life to my whole life doesn't last forever. And tonight, I want to commit my life to God. You know what happened that week? I mean, it's a true story, y'all. I've seen some crazy stuff. I ain't never seen nothing like this. That week, we saw 51 of the 61 football players commit their lives to Jesus. They go back home, 
in August, they, they start practicing, right, for their season. They start Skyping me in for Bible studies every week into the locker room. And almost this entire football team gave their hearts to Jesus. They, they, they see crazy stuff break out on their campus because these guys were on fire for God. And I'm just doing Bible studies. Well, I ain't doing nothing special. I'm on a computer screen. They put me on the projector where they watch film. It's kind of cool, huh? And uh, <laughs> they get all the way to the state championship, state championship game, Smyrna High School in Smyrna, Tennessee. They get all the way to the state championship game, and they lost. You say, Chris, but if they commit their lives to God, they should win. They look at me. Whoever told you that when you commit your heart to God that it's going to be easy and it's always going to go your way, they lied. Following Jesus is not easy. They were devastated. I remember I called Steve the next day on the phone. I said, Steve, what did God teach you about your season? Listen, you know what he said to me on the cell phone? He had signed a Division I college football scholarship and everything. You know what he said to me? He said, he reminded me that whether it goes good or bad he's got me students look at me when you enter into a committed relationship with Jesus no matter your feelings no matter your circumstances no matter your emotions look at me he's got you he's got you and here's the question for you tonight are you truly committed to him Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.